And so we're going to turn to Mark chapter 8. I'm going to read the passage, and then Pastor Peter will um, preach for us. Mark chapter 8. Uh, we're going to verse 27 to 38. So Mark chapter 8, verses 27 to 38. Okay, let me read that for us as we um, go to the word of God. Mark chapter 8, verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Amen. This is the word of God. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Paul. Um, hello, everyone. Welcome to church. Um, for those that don't know me, my name is Peter, and I have been given the joy and privilege of preaching the word of God today. Uh, please join me uh, as I pray for our time together now. Uh, let's pray. Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light for our path. Uh, please speak through your word today and help us to hear the message that you have for us. Bring conviction to our hearts so that we might be filled with a genuine desire and motivation to live this beautiful life that you've called us to with a radical faith and a surrendered heart, a life that brings you pleasure and glory. I pray that the word preached today would carry weight and that the truth might pierce many hearts. This is all for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Uh, you know, on YouTube, I often come across these videos that are titled um, A Day in the Life of a blank. Uh, and there are so many of them these days. A day in the life of a mom, a day in the life of a college basketball player, a day in the life of a chef, a day in the life of a software engineer. And these videos are interesting because it follows the lifestyle or the daily routines of someone who does something completely different to me. And the video depicts a life that is so different to mine because, well, I'm not a mom, I'm not a college basketball player, I'm not a chef, et cetera, et cetera. And it's and so it's fun to watch these videos. It's, inter it's interesting to see how different people's lives are. And I'm sure you guys have seen videos like this as well. Now, imagine with me, uh, you see one of these videos titled, let's say, uh, a day in the life of a chef, and you click on it. We click on this fully expecting to see food, 
cooking, restaurants, and stuff like that. But imagine the video has none of these things. In fact, there is little to none that indicates that this person really is a chef. I think the natural question that would rise in our minds watching this would be, well, is this person really who they say they are? Imagine a, day, a video of a day in the life of a mom, but there's no baby. Imagine a day in the life of a college basketball player, but there's no basketball. You get the point. You see, it's not necessarily what we do that defines us, but it is true to say that whether often by responsibility or by passion, who we are depicts what we do and how we live our lives, right? It doesn't make you a mom because you feed a baby, right? You feed a baby because you are a mom. Your identity drives your lifestyle. And I think this makes sense to all of us. Like with anything else in the world, this principle is quite obvious. But when it comes to our faith and our ident identity as Christians, I think often we get it mixed up to think that our actions don't really matter, that our lifestyle doesn't really matter, that it's really just more about me saying that I'm a Christian and confessing that I'm a Christian again and again. Or maybe we just don't care enough about our faith for it to really affect our lives. Uh, let me put it this way. If there was a video made of your life, a film crew followed you around for a week, um, what would your video be titled? A day in the life of a blank. And I'm sure there are lots of different possibilities, but I wonder if even in the top three things that your video would show, would it show a, a day in the life of a Christian? If not, are you okay with that right now? And if you are okay with that, why are you okay with that? And how can you possibly say that my identity is a Christian, someone who lives for Christ, someone who lives following Christ? You know, often I think we believe there are two levels of Christians. Uh, there's the normal Christian, the Christian who just takes their faith serious enough to go to church once a week, tell people that I'm a Christian, post a Bible verse on social media once and every now and then, and that's kind of enough. And then there's the radical Christian who really sacrifices themselves, gives up opportunities and devotes their life to live for God's kingdom in a real world way. And I think we often, we're satisfied with just being the normal Christian, right? Don't want to lose face, don't want to lose opportunities, just do the bare minimum and make it into heaven. We don't say it like that, but we do live it like that. Uh, but what if there was no such thing? What if the normal Christian is the radical Christian? You know, if we spend any time in the word of God, we will quickly find that the radical faith is for every Christian. Uh, and in a nutshell, that's what our passage today is about. Christians should look like Christians. Our lives should look like a day in the life of a Christian. In our text, Jesus confronts his disciples, and therefore, I believe the word confronts all of us today with a question we all need to answer and a challenge we all need to face and a response we all need to give every single day as Christians. And let me tell you, it is a radical life that Jesus is calling his followers into. And in case this radical life doesn't interest you very much, let me start at the end by showing us the why of all this. The incentive, if you will, of living in the way that our passage will show us today. And that's found in verse 35 to 38. Jesus explains, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. It's a matter of eternity. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? This is a rhetorical question. Nothing. For what can a man give in return for his soul? 
For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Why should this interest us? Why, should, why is this of utmost importance? Jesus tells us. Because this is a matter of eternity. Right? This, this is a matter of salvation. Getting this right is for our souls. It's a matter of, of heaven and hell. And so I hope and pray that we would honestly evaluate our hearts today as we read through the rest of our passage, because it is so important that we respond in the right way. Let's look at the three things that Jesus confronts his disciples with in our passage. And the first thing is a question we all need to answer, a question we all need to answer. So through the book of Mark, we have seen Jesus do some incredible things, miraculous things. He's healed people. He's raised the dead. He's multiplied food. And now it's time to see what the people think. Um, commentators actually say that everything that we've been reading through Mark until now has been leading up to this point, this very question that Jesus is about to ask. Verse 27, and Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? So Jesus, who by this point has become quite famous, as we all know, wants to know, hey, what does the world think about me? Or who do people think that I am? Now, Jesus is not testing his fame here. He's not asking, hey, how, fa how famous am I? He's testing to see if people really know him truly for who he is. And so the disciples respond and tell him what the world has been saying about him. Verse 28, and they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. Now, what we have to understand here is that these aren't bad responses. They are just wrong responses. A commentator says that these are actually outstanding and stellar evaluations and assessments to call someone John the Baptist, Elijah, and perhaps one of the prophets was people elevating Jesus, trying to find the highest figure they could identify him as. They were honoring him, but they were also misrepresenting him. And so though, the, so though the world thought highly of Jesus, they didn't really know him for who he really was. And isn't that quite the case even today? The world we live in, oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes sees Christianity and the Jesus we follow in somewhat of a positive light. It's a kind of church is a place for, you know, full of nice people. Jesus' teachings is morally good. It's kind of helpful for our lives, right? But they always miss the most important thing, Christ's true identity. And our passage shows us that this is the dividing factor. It doesn't matter how positively you can paint Jesus Christ, how highly you can praise him. The question is, can you answer this question correctly? And the question Jesus asks to his disciples directly, verse 29, he asks them, but who do you say that I am? So you now told me what the world says I am, but who do you say that I am? He asked them. And there's a reason that Jesus did not start by asking the disciples. He needed to clarify that there is a difference between the world out there and my disciples here. And it depends on how you answer this question. Who do you say that I am? And of course, because Peter is the greatest, just kidding, he's actually the loudest and um, strangely and unwisely confident, um, quite like somebody we know. He actually, he stands up and actually answers the question correctly. Peter says, you are the Christ. 
In Matthew's version of this scene, we hear the full version. Matthew 16, 16, it says, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And we know this is the right answer because Mark chapter one, verse one, it opens like this. That this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. So here we go. Two perspectives. The world who sees Jesus positively, but incorrectly, and the disciples who identify Christ accurately. Which one are you today? Again, remember the reason this is important. This is a matter of eternity. Who do you say Jesus is today? Who is Jesus to you personally today? How do you see Jesus in your hearts today? Is he just a good teacher? Is he a good figure to quote? Is he just that person that we always talk about at church? Or is he really your Lord and your Savior? Someone who deserves worship, your worship and praise and honor. Brothers and sisters, this is the first radical step that Christ calls us into if we are to follow him, to answer this question correctly. Who do you say Jesus is? And I hope we would honestly ask ourselves this question again today. You can fool me, you can fool the church, you can fool the world around you, but don't fool yourself. Because Jesus reminds us, verse 36, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul. This is a matter of our souls. Who do you say Jesus is? Like really? And if you find it hard to, in your heart, accept and believe Jesus as your Christ, I hope you would begin here and stay here. Don't worry about the rest of the stuff that we'll talk about today. Today's passage isn't about behavior modification. It's, it's really about correctly identifying ourselves and our standing as Christians. And that begins by correctly identifying Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Stay here. Pray about this. Stay here. Read about this and ask God to establish this conviction in your hearts today that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, worthy of my praise, worthy of my obedience. For this is the question we all need to answer as Christians. But if we can answer this question as Peter did, uh, well, then we are also confronted by the challenge we all need to face as Christians. So Peter has just answered Jesus' first question correctly, but Jesus' confrontation does not stop there. He begins to tell them a plan, verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Here, Jesus, for the first time, is plainly and clearly explaining the gospel plan. That he, and that is that he will be rejected, he will be killed, and he will rise again. And Peter, in classic Peter fashion, right after doing a great thing, he completely ruins everything, right? He doesn't like Jesus' plan. Jesus, why do you have to die? I don't like that plan. And so verse 32, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus, which is like cringe, palm to the forehead moment. Peter, like why, right? But before we point fingers at poor Peter, we need to examine our own lives and see that we more often than not do exactly what Peter is doing in this scene. Because you see, what Peter is doing here is he is accepting the person, but rejecting the plan. He's accepting the person, but he's rejecting the plan. Peter had no issues calling Jesus his Christ, like many of us. 
We don't have any problems with calling Jesus the Son of God. We sing about it every week. We celebrate it again and again. And then when Jesus comes with a certain plan for our lives or, or a certain call to live our lives in a certain way, when we are challenged to surrender our own plans, our own desires, and give up what we think is the best way, well, we turn from God oftentimes. Or perhaps even point a finger at God. And whether with our words or with our heart's attitude, we straight up say, God, I don't like your plan. I disagree. Whether it is in an issue with your life's trajectory, an issue with the church that God has placed you in, the community is calling you to love, the enemies is calling you to forgive, the things he is calling you to prioritize or the sacrifices he he's calling you to make every single day, we, more often than not, actively reject the plan. And we justify this by thinking or even saying, but I still confess Jesus is my Lord and Savior, so I'm good. And to this attitude, Jesus responds with his own rebuke. Verse 33. But turning and seeing his disciples. And again, this is not just a Peter problem. Peter's just loud and, and you know impatient. He just spoke on behalf of what everyone else was thinking. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter. And said, get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, why get behind me, Satan? Why so harsh? Well, because it isn't just the disciples who understand who Jesus is. If we look earlier in Mark, we, we see that even the enemies, the demons know who Jesus is. They actually recognize Jesus when no one else does. And James talks about this in James chapter 2, verse 19. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So this attitude that Peter is showing, in some ways, is no different to the demons who know Jesus, but don't honor him and don't obey him, but instead challenge him. And so Jesus calls them out. And brothers and sisters, this is the second radical step that Christ is calling his disciples into. And the challenge that we will face, which is to set our minds not on the things of man, but on the things of God. To, make it not, to not make it about me, but to make it about him. To not just accept the person, but to embrace his plans, embrace his ways. And straight up, this is so hard. Right? In our finances, in our relationships, in our careers, in our families. It's so hard because we want to do it our own way. But oftentimes, God has another plan set up for us. And I actually think this is where a lot of people end up failing and walking away from God. Because though they had no problems with the person, they simply couldn't accept his plans. They have no problems when the message is, Jesus will save you, Jesus will do this for you, Jesus will give this to you. But the moment the message becomes, let go of this for his sake. Suddenly, this is not what I signed up for. Suddenly, it's too much. And so they conclude, well, I'll do it my way instead. Brothers and sisters, don't fall into the trap of thinking that we know better than God. Because to this attitude, Jesus says, verse 38, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That's so scary. If Jesus really is our Lord and Savior, if we accept the person, it is not an option to reject the plan. It is a natural response. 
But that is the challenge, to see it like that. To see it from God's perspective and not mine, and to honor and to obey, even when it doesn't make sense in my eyes, because Jesus is my Lord. Which is why the first question is so important. Who is Jesus to you? In Kingsway, we are faced with this challenge every single day as Christians. Setting my mind on things about me or things about God every single day. And I wonder, how are you doing with that? And in the face of this challenge, we can either respond as Peter does, disagree, dishonor, and displease our Lord again and again. Or we can respond in the radical way that Christ calls us to in the next few verses. As we see that Jesus, as we see that in Jesus' lesson about the response we need to give every single day as Christians. Verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You know, often I think taking care of our faith is quite like taking care of our physical bodies. When we want to live a healthy life, there is always three simple steps everyone needs to take. The first is cut out the junk. The second is put in the work. The third is keep on doing it, right? Cut out the junk, put in the work, and keep on doing it. It's simple. It makes sense. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You want to follow me? You want to be a Christian? You want to save your souls? Here it is. Cut out the junk, put in the work, and keep on doing it. That's what it takes. Or in the words of our passage, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. If there is a formula to living a healthy and faithful Christian life, that brings honor and glory to our God, here it is. Jesus has given us the cheat sheet. It's, a life, it's to live a life of denying myself, saying no to me, saying no to my sinful and fleshly desires. It's saying no to anger, saying no to jealousy, saying no to greed, saying no to living for my personal glory. And guys, this is such an unnatural, radical thing because we are so innately self-centered and egocentric but jesus clearly says if you are to follow me look in the mirror and say no that's what it takes and live it's, it's to live a life of taking up your cross this is saying yes to discipline saying yes to sacrifice yes to holiness yes to the things of god yes to obedience which again is not a natural thing for us laziness is just way easier sinfulness is just easier but that's why it's pick up your cross. It's meant to hurt. It'll probably bring some agony, but there is purpose behind it all. And we aren't called to just do this one time at a church camp when we're young. He's saying, denying yourself, taking up your cross, follow me. And the implication here is that we do this every single day, again and again and again. When you follow someone, it's not you just follow them for 100 meters and then you can stop. No, you follow them. You stick with them. You turn left when they turn left. You turn right when they turn right until you get to the destination, right? That's what it means to follow. Hey, I'll follow you when we drive. That's what it means to follow. Every single day again and again. And that's what this radical response is meant to look like every single day. Cut out the junk, put in the work, and do it again. No ifs, no buts. 
And everything about this is radical. There is nothing normal or comfortable about this. But again, and I find this kind of funny, I think, when it comes to our physical health, we get this. It's, it's like, it's obvious to us. We all understand that it takes extra effort. Having good intentions and a healthy desire doesn't suddenly make you fit. It doesn't make sense. Hard work and discipline to get healthy and stay healthy, right? That's, we all get that and a lot of us do that. So then why do we struggle to accept the, that the fact that this radical way of living is the only normal way of truly living as a healthy Christian? And why does it surprise us that we aren't doing great in our faith when we put in real no effort? Some of us are so comfortable, way too comfortable, very lazy. And I'm speaking to myself first. We barely touch the word. Prayer is just before meals, really only when people are watching. And the passion we have for Christ is just so little compared to all the other things that we pour out our hearts and our time into, our work, our sport, our playing, our traveling, our eating, our families, our hobbies, our body. And that is the mindset that, that is the mindset, that is the lifestyle that our passage is confronting today. Let me read to you a quote from uh, David Platt in a book named Radical. This is what he says. We American or Western Christians have a way of taking the Jesus of the Bible and twisting him into a version of Jesus that we are far more comfortable with. A nice middle-class American Jesus, a Jesus who doesn't mind materialism and would never call us to give it away everything that we have. A Jesus who is fine with nominal devotion that, that does not infringe on our comforts. A Jesus who wants us to be balanced, who wants us to avoid dangerous extremes, and who for that matter wants us to avoid danger altogether. A Jesus who brings comfort and prosperity to us as we live out our Christian spin on the American dream. And in our passage today, Jesus confronts this mindset and he says to us, whatever type of Jesus you've created for yourself, that's not me. So I don't know who you're following. But if you want to follow me, answer the question, is Jesus your Christ? Face the challenge. Will you set your mind on the things of God above all things and respond to this daily? Cut out the junk, put in the work and just keep on doing it. And this radical way of living life, King's way, it is the normal way that Christians have been called to live life. And it, it's hard, it'll be hard, but the Bible teaches us that it's absolutely worth it because in Christ, in the gospel, we are promised an eternity in the kingdom of heaven, a redemption from our sins and a joy unspeakable that the world could never even give us a taste of. Brothers and sisters, what is your day in the life of video titled today? The point of today's sermon is not judgment. It's encouragement to say that really starting from myself, I know we could all do better, right? We could all do more. And if the passage today hasn't been motivating enough for you, I hope and pray that you would reflect on Jesus Christ who calls us to live like this. 
and meditate on how he gave us first his everything by dying on the cross for our sins, that we might even have an opportunity to know the Father. The cost that we are called to pay is minuscule in light of the cost that was paid for us on the cross by Jesus Christ. So with urgency on our hearts and prayers on our lips and really with baby steps, I hope and pray that all of us would go out and, and live a slightly more radical life this week and the week in, you know, throughout our lives for his sake and for his glory. Amen. And I think if we were to live, I mean, I picture like if our church were to live like this together as a community, the kind of impact that we would have, not, in, not only in, you know, those around us, but in the world that we live in, I think it would be incredible. So let's continue to fight and run this race together.